Um, we're going to revisit um, the whole issue of land grabbing tonight, which is something that we address fairly regularly here on Amandla, but this time it's going to be in northern Uganda, and this time it's complexified by its purported green dimension. Frédéric Mousseau is the policy director of the Oakland Institute. Frédéric, welcome back to Amandla. Thank you. Very glad to be back in the show. Good. Okay, well, let's start at the beginning here with the project itself. The Norwegian company Green Resources is a plantation forestry, carbon offset, forest products, and renewable energy company, running what is referred to as a carbon project in Kachung in northern Uganda. So to begin with, what exactly is a carbon project, and what does Green Resources project entail? Well, uh, very simply, carbon project in this case is that uh, green resources will plant trees, in this case pine trees, which are non-native species of uh, Uganda, by the way. Uh, they will plant trees, and then there will be complex calculations to, to, uh, from this tree to calculate an amount of carbon credit, and then they will sell these carbon credits to polluters, which will be, uh, could be companies, or in this case is uh, a government is a Swedish government with, uh, who, who pollutes and to compensate for its pollutions will buy carbon credits to these companies. So it's a business selling, uh, selling the, 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 the trees, you, the carbon in the trees you, you've grown for, to, to polluters who can then compensate in a way their, their, their pollution. Okay, well, back in um, 2014, your organization, the Oakland Institute, accused Green Resources of what you referred to as carbon violence around this project. What do you mean by that term? What, what we mean is that uh, for this plant, I mean, it, it, it can sound good to plant trees to fight climate, climate change, but in this case, uh, the, the land that the Green Resources has leased was actually land used by local villagers. You have 17 villages surrounding the plantation today, over 10,000 people living there were mostly smallholder farmers who are herders, meaning they have cattle that use uh, a large part of this land for grazing. They're also very reliant on the on, on their environment to collect uh, firewood, to collect medicinal products. So people were living there. And uh, and this, uh, this carbon project has resulted in the eviction of these people and the ban uh, for all of them to 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 access this this land even for grazing or for the collection of firewood so uh, violence is is real violence in in the way that these people if they uh, if they try to go and to go beyond the interdiction to uh, to access this land they can be uh, arrested they can be fined they can be beaten uh, the police is involved as well as secure private security guards so it is a real violence towards the villagers, the local communities who've been living there for a, forever, uh, to uh, to make room and to to to, to get the, the, the free uh, uh, the, the land free for this uh, Norwegian company. Mm-hmm. Can you talk to us a little bit about how these evictions actually occurred? The people were not evicted from there. Some of them were had to had to leave the the, the house they, they had. But for for most of them, they are still in the villages where they used to live. 
but they are evicted from the land they use for farming and from and for grazing and uh, and all these other activities I was mentioning. So it is uh, eviction from the, the the land they use for the livelihood, not from their home. So they still have their homes. They still have their, their, these villages are, are all around the plantation, but they uh, they are not able to access their land anymore, and they are pushed really on, on the side onto marginal land with a lot of pressure today. For, for all of them to, to access land and water resources because there's uh, much less land available to the people and the population is growing year after year with uh, more and more difficulties for people to ensure their, their livelihood and their food security. Yeah, and I gather that, well, it is this a particularly painful context because when we talk about the notion of violence in relation to carbon, it's part, it's particularly disturbing given that this is an area of Uganda, in northern uh, Uganda, that uh, was so incredibly traumatized and destabilized and destroyed by uh, the war with the Lord's Resistance Army and uh, marginalization by the Ugandan state itself. So there's a particularly vulnerable population we're talking about here. Yeah, it has very harsh history and the living conditions in this area are, are uh, very basic with uh, very limited access to any any service of education or health and so on. And, and it is even more disturbing when you know that this project is happening with financing from public uh, so-called development institutions mm-hmm. such as the World Bank, such as uh, Scandinavian uh, development agencies who have been supporting and financing this project. So all this is happening in the name of fight of, against climate change, but also sustainable development. And what we've, sh- what we've seen in our two, uh, two different phases of research is that there's no development at all happening for the people in the area. And some people might have their own personal development with, uh, with a profit method of this uh, timber and carbon credit, but it is not happening for the people there. Well, in, in, in fact, back in 2014, when you uh, released this this report uh, talking about carbon violence, in fact, um, there was significant fallout from that, and it did put the brakes on um, green resources. Can you tell us about what the what the immediate aftermath and impact of that report was? We were very glad with our partners and the local NGOs in Uganda that we, we had such an impact in exposing the, the, the project three years ago. What happened was that the Swedish Energy Agency, which is a, the, the governmental agency in Sweden, who was, uh, was buying the, the carbon credit from green resources, they, had a, they still have a contract for $4 million of uh, carbon credits to buy from this company. But after the report was published, they decided to suspend their payments uh, suspend the contract, and they ask the company to to take action in four dif- in uh, ten different uh, areas where uh, the, the local population had issues with uh, with the project, which are so th- this is all detailed in our last report. But it was really for the company to take action on the on the basis of all the the flaws we were we had identified in the project. And another big impact was. One of the major investors in the project, a, a private investor, just pulled out, uh, considering it was uh, too uh, too risky investment for them. So, uh, Green Resources has been uh, under a lot of pressure to uh, to do better. Well, here we are, three years later after that report, and uh, the Swedish Swedish Energy 
agency seems to be on the verge of resuming its activities with green resources. To forestall this, you've come out, or the Oakland Institute has come out with another report, Carbon Colonialism, Failure of Green Resources Carbon Offset Project in Uganda. Um, This time you're using the term carbon colonialism instead of carbon violence. Is there a distinction to be made there? Yeah, initially we we did show all this this issue of evictions and people being forced away from their land. Uh, we are talking about colonialism this time because what appears in this uh, in this follow up report was uh, really that uh, I mean, basically what we what we look at in this new report is what has changed, how the the, the, the company and the, Swe- and the Swedish government has taken into account the, the issue that were raised. And, and what we can see is that the, the Swedish uh, government is very keen to, to resume payments. Uh, and so they commission an audit, which is, uh, I mean, you, you look at the content of the audit and the language that is used in the audit on which they're supposed to base that decision for for resuming or not their, their contract. All this language and all the, 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 the vision underlying this uh, audit is very uh, neo-colonialist, if I can say, in many ways, like, Auditors saying, "Oh, these villagers are very unrealistic in their demands. Mm-hmm. They are they are expecting the land to be returned, or they are expecting services that will never be provided to them. This kind of, uh, or, or they should be happy. They got some training to do uh, to do something something else, or they got some training to build uh, 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 energy saving stuff to cope with the the lack of firewood due to the to the to the plantation." So it's uh, it's shocking, and new, in colonialism it's it, it's still uh, a soft way to talk about it because it's uh, w- when you look at it, and uh, I won't have time to go into all the details, but if you if you look at our at our reports, it's um, it's really shocking how the the company and the auditors were contracted by the, the Swedish government and, the, and from what we hear the Swedish government is really keen to follow the, their audit and, and resume payments as soon as possible. Uh, it, it looks really like they had an audit because they had to do something after the report, but what they are doing is really uh, unacceptable from uh, from what we see and from the perspective of the of the of the villagers. Basically, they say, "Oh, we're gonna we we took the land you had, and we're gonna we're gonna educate you on mm. how to how to do without it." And it's it's pretty much what we what you read between the lines of this uh, of this study, and unfortunately, possibly between the the line of the future decision of the Swedish. And it does indeed sound that is certainly an extremely uh, an extremely colonial line. Um, what about the environmental impact? Your your report goes into the impact of this kind of intensive monoculture of pine trees in this area. Can you talk to us a little bit about the fallout from that? Yes, sure. The, that's that's a big impact too, because even uh, even for those who can still have land to farm, uh, we have a lot of complaints about uh, the land being uh, less fertile or being polluted by the chemicals that are used. So it, we, we have to to have in mind that this is pine trees, pine trees that uh, have never grown. Um, part of, uh, of Africa and in, in Uganda, uh, and these are trees that are that have a, a very high 
fertility for the soils, which uh, which is very damaging for the fertility of the soil. So farmers say that even in in the area surrounding the plantations, they they have to to with lower yields and uh, and lower fertility for the soils. That's one thing. Another problem that has been mentioned a number of times and that the company denies, of course, is that with the heavy use of uh, chemicals such as uh, herbicides, uh, the water ponds have been polluted in the, in, in the area, mm-hmm. and farmers say that the animals who have been drinking in the polluted few water ponds that are around have been sick, and, and many of them have died due to this pollution. So definitely a, a, a very serious environmental impact and again we we see a company and we see development agencies telling us about sustainable development bringing monoculture plantations of non-native species which have such an impact on the on the biodiversity and the, on the on the natural environment it is another uh, another puzzling uh, uh, narrative that, that, they, that they use when you, when you see the facts. And, and this is not just a report. It is backed by many scientists who, who consider this kind of tree in this kind of area are, are very nocive. A few years ago, Grain came out with a report on land grabbing that said behind every big land grab, there's really a water grab going on. Is that true in this instance? You've talked about the pollution of water, but what about the control of water? Of course, the, we, we've talked a lot and we've studied many uh, investments in, the, in Africa and in the rest of the developing world. And uh, it, it is, you know, you, you hear a lot of discourse from governments, from uh, experts, so-called experts at the World Bank, telling us, oh, there's so much available, available land in Africa that people don't use much of their land. There's so much uh, potential to use this land, which is not used very productively and so on. And there's so much marginal land we can use. But when you look at the, where the projects go, the projects always go where there's water yeah. because uh, yeah, they, <laughs> they have a choice. They want, I mean, there's a big, big free area, which is called the Sahara Desert, and nobody is going there, but surprisingly, they, they all go where there is water, where there's access to infrastructures, access to markets, access to ports, and uh, it is, of course, land and water going together, and you, you can see that very well in a number of countries where you have big uh, big rivers uh, in Africa, and you see the office du Niger in Mali is the primary area targeted for uh, for land grabbing. It's uh, millions of hectares that are targeted there. You look at Ethiopia, and you have the, the Omo River, where which has uh, seen recently the construction of a dam and large-scale irrigation for sugar from this dam. You can uh, look at Zambia and the Zambezi River being used the same way. So, yes, it is all over Africa. It is a rush to get access to the best land and the, the land which is easily uh, irrigable by, uh, by these water sources. Frédéric, you talked about uh, earlier about the audit process and that that has turned out to be a sham and a collusion, uh, a collusionary kind of system. But uh, there are also a number of certification organizations that are supposed to govern um, green resources activities. Does this kind of situation completely discredit this form of governance? 
this is really what we this one of the recommendations that we have is that we 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 see green resources as the UN's the forest stewardship council they have all, like a long list of certifications and and backers and we one of our recommendations is for all these institutions to to review their uh, their audit procedures and their their monitoring of uh, of this kind of uh, of this kind of system and uh, in particular to uh, to to go beyond the the legality because green resources and the auditors say oh this is legal. We have an agreement with the government, which is legal. These people are encroachers. They are trespassers mm. because they don't have a legal title on this land. Uh, and uh, unfortunately, many of these institutions look at the legality, and the legality give, is given by a law that have been passed by a government which is completely complicit of this land grab. So it's uh, one of our recommendations is for these institutions to go beyond the laws and look at what is happening to the communities on the ground, whether it is legal or not, by the, made legal or not by the government. Apartheid was legal at some point. So it's really uh, up to these institutions to, to uphold human rights. And, and we are talking here about really basic human rights for people to have access to land to be able to, to survive on their own land. So that's one one of our one of our key recommendations from uh, for, for this uh, for these bodies and international institutions. Well, for, I, I, I could add I could add just one yeah. quick thing is that for the for the UN uh, carbon so the the all kind of acronyms and institutions but for the UN who is, in, is managing the, the, this carbon business, it is really interesting that they don't take at all into account this human uh, element. They, there's even, and we mentioned that in our previous report, there's even a, 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 a word that are, that are just, I, want, I will share with you, that are, says so much. In, in the UN documents on the monitoring of the project, they're talking about carbon leakage in the project, and they try to measure in their monitoring, they try to measure the carbon leakage. Mm. And what is a carbon leakage is actually the use of the, of the land or of the trees by the local population. Oh. And so they're monitoring, really, the, the, there are really technicians monitoring the, the carbon uh, in, in this area, and they don't look at all into into the lives of the people or into the environment more generally. It's really, uh, yeah, it's technocrats looking at it from, from an office somewhere, completely losing, uh, losing sense with the reality. Yeah. Well, let's talk about the reality of the people on the ground. To, to, to what extent, what, what are they, um, are they organized on the ground? Are they, uh, what's, what's their voice in this story? They are, um, they are somehow organized. There's actually a court case, several court cases that have been there, but they have been stalled. They have been going on for several years, and it seems that the government that doesn't let these court cases go anywhere. But there is a lawyer, and there are several uh, hundreds of people together in a court case against the company. So this is happening, and uh, we, we are at some point with this pressure we're bringing and the local NGOs in Uganda we hope that it can uh, it can move at some at some point in the future what we what we see also is uh, uh, 
a lot of desperation within community because, they, as we said earlier, it's uh, it's a very marginal area where there's a lot of uh, poverty and no service, and and people say, oh, I have to, uh, I have to, uh, I have a health condition, or I have some emergency in my family, or I have some specific needs, and being a few hundred people who, who work for the company see themselves as being forced to work for a company who pay them very little, who has taken their land, but they say there's, there's very uh, little other choice for us when uh, when we need the, when we need this cash, and of course there are other development and cash opportunities that could arise from having true development uh, in this land. All this is made impossible by this uh, this big plantation on their land. So it's. It, there is there is a sense of desperation, and when uh, and each time I was talking to our researchers, there who who keep talking about desperation, about survival, about people being in a, in a very serious crisis and and really not not knowing what to do, given even their government is against them, and then they use the police, and and uh, and they are told it's for their good and it's for development, and they don't see they don't see this happening. So the um, uh, our research. I mean, our, we had uh, uh, one of our researchers was from a, uh, an, an area close by in Uganda. He was telling us that it would be amazing for the communities to have the, this report, and it would be so important for their Christmas to see that their voices are finally heard. And uh, we, we were glad to have at least this uh, this expose uh, and this message to them that they they are heard, and, uh, and we're going to try to to push to to have more institutions and people hearing their voices in the future. Mm-hmm. It's just an amazing thing. I remember a few years ago, there was um, there, there was the whole thing around biofuel. And when the European uh, Union, I guess, d- decided a minimum amount of biofuel used, uh, yeah. Africa became a real target for land grabbing so that biofuel could be produced out of Africa in order to fulfill these European environmental standards. It's such a cynical thing where climate change and the climate crisis is being used to further these colonial uh, imperatives. Completely. And it's... uh on the biofuel is still uh, it's still happening big time in many countries there is uh, there are even discussions to uh, to do more for because we have uh, our air traffic is always increasing so there's there are these international discussions for these airlines to use more mm. biofuels in the uh, for their fuel and uh, just a few weeks ago we were with a group of NGOs uh, warning that this will mean more land grab and more pie mm-hmm. and more uh, more biofuel. Uh, I mean, more land taken for biofuel in the developing world because this is this is where it's going to be coming from. And uh, so it has it has stopped a, a, a little because there was a lot of in 2009, 2010 there was a lot of excitement around Jafrofa, which was supposed to be the mirac- miraculous. Right. 
um, biofuel crop, which has failed. So you have seen many pro- many projects failing in a number of countries, which was, again, disastrous for many people who had lost their land to this project. But uh, this is another story. So today is less of Jatropha, but more on on the pine oil, more on uh, on uh, sugar, which uh, which is being pushed in in many places like Ethiopia on a very large scale. So it is uh, yeah, it is one of the big drivers, definitely. The name of the report by the Oakland Institute is Carbon, Colonialism, Failure of Green Resources, Carbon Offset Project in Uganda. Frédéric Mousseau, thank you so much for joining us here on Amanda tonight. Thank you very much for having me. And you can find the report at uh, oaklandinstitute.org, along with uh, the previous ones, uh, which are both available. Bonne soirée. Merci. Bye-bye.